Hi, this is Noel Manning. Welcome to Gardner Web University Radio, WGWG.org. This is Cinema Scene. We talk Cinema Scene every single week right here in one fashion or another. I'm joined by co-host Adam Long, Adam from Focus Newspapers. Uh, Focusnewspaper.com is where you can find out more information about about our buddy, Mr. Adam Long, and uh, check out his reviews. You can also follow both of us on Twitter. I am at Noel T. Manning, and uh, Adam is uh, at FilmFan1970. Is that, oh, Adam at FilmFan1970. Which one is it? Adam FilmFan1970. Adam FilmFan1970. There you go. Well, man, big big week at uh, the box office uh, last weekend. A you know, pretty pretty decent sized weekend with uh, um, James Bond holding over one more week at number one. Uh, this week we'll see if he goes down to a rebel from uh, District uh, District Twelve. We'll see if that happens as uh, Mocking Jay Part Two, uh, the Hunger Games final chapter is released in theaters, and um, we'll see uh, we'll see what happens uh, happens there. And uh, we'll talk about that movie. You and I both have a, uh, our take on that. Also, uh, other films in the spotlight uh, this week that we'll talk about. One includes a movie called Spotlight. And uh, James White is a film we'll talk about. And then there are a couple that uh, you want to chat about as well. Give some, uh, give some feedback on. Uh, yep. Give us those names as a teaser for what people can expect. Well, uh, I got to catch uh, caught up with uh, the night before the new Seth Rogen film, of course, uh, new Hunger Games, obviously, and uh, all things must pass. A documentary on the rise and fall of the Tower Records chain. So, Good deal. Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's dive into um, the one that's on uh, the collective mind of, uh, of many a young people in uh, in the U.S. The Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part Two. This is that that final installment. Um, we've got uh, Francis uh, Lawrence directing this piece. Uh, the cast is back. I will say that I thought this was a, this the series of films was cast very well. Uh, the, the people f- fulfilled the roles um, that uh, that were portrayed in the book series. And uh, you know Jennifer Lawrence, Academy Award winner, uh, you know, she's got a, a busy season. Uh, she's got this, and then uh, next month she's got a movie called uh, Joy. Uh, David O. Russell film. Uh, he's back uh, spending time with her uh, for the third time, maybe the fourth. I know at least the third, uh, third with her and Bradley Cooper uh, together. Uh, and so that'll be hitting uh, Christmas Day, I believe, is the release date for that. But uh, this particular film series, uh, you know, when she was signed on for this um, as uh, Katniss Everdeen, kind of a young, you know, a teenager that ends up uh, volunteering for these these war games. Uh, kind of a cross between Survivor and the Lottery um, to save her sister. Uh, her, her sister's name was drawn, so her sister was going to have to go into into this arena and, and fight out battles so we would no longer have wars in this futuristic society. You know, she uh, there was a, a, a very interesting dynamic when she was first cast. And when she was first cast, she wasn't the household name that she is now. Um but people were like, ah, oh, you know, the fans were like, oh, she's she's too old. She's too old for this. But I really think that uh, Jennifer Lawrence found a way to kind of make this her own when you look at the, the collective of this franchise. Um, this particular film is a truly a part two. It, it picks up uh, right where the, uh, the last film left off. And um, I, let me just recommend this. If you haven't seen... The other films, uh, don't go see this one first. <laughs> Let me just say that up front. Don't go see this yeah. one first. Uh, at our screening, uh, there was actually a woman sitting in front of us who had never seen any of them. 
And I'm thinking, what the heck are you doing here? You know, I mean, that's, I I just don't get that unless you just wanted to have a a night out. But, you know, you would be incredibly lost in this film if you came in and had no background. I mean, you'd be incredibly lost. Don't you agree? I agree. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I don't know how you catch up to it. Unless, I guess, uh, you know, you could do what I did. I I tend to forget these things uh, since they space them out a year apart. So I just go online and do a recap. And you can kind of catch up to it if you want to do that and give you a quick synopsis. Uh, I guess that's one way to avoid having to watch the other ones because you can... uh, you know, find out where where we're at in, in the series if if you if you must. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, you can find out where you are in the series, but you wouldn't actually know the uh, the actors. Sometimes you're like, hey, who is that? You know, who is that character? Yeah. What what is that all about? Uh, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman. We got to see him. Um, it was it was really odd seeing him on film again, but it was glad. I was very glad to see him um, back, and they uh, yeah. they did a nice job. Uh, fitting this story around his death. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they'd shot everything or if they just went back and changed some pieces of the storyline, but it felt it, it felt like it worked. To me, it did, to me, I didn't feel like they were piecing things together with him. I felt like it, it actually worked within the story. Um, this story is the final, uh, final chapter, and just to catch everybody up, uh, the Hunger Games have been going on for about 75 years. And uh, it was a way for the capital or the, the, this dictator leadership to have control over all the surrounding districts and saying, if you ever try to rebel again, you know, you, you saw what we did to, to District 13. Well, we, we can do that to you. So a way for us uh, to no longer have war. We'll just draw people out of the hat, out of your towns, and make them fight our battles for us. And we'll watch it as a spectacle. That's kind of the concept of the storyline, the, the dictator is uh, is played by Donald Sutherland. Uh, President Snow is is his name, and uh, you know within that we we uh, we see that you know he really is an evil guy. I mean he is an evil guy that has uh, no he doesn't care if you're a kid, if you're a, a mom, a woman. He'll kill anybody just because. And so uh, Katniss Everdeen, played by Jennifer Lawrence, through the course of these films, has become a uh, reluctant leader. Adam. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, not by her own choosing, but she's, she's become kind of the face of this rebellion. And uh, the rebellion is growing. You know, it's, it's, it's catching fire. It's sparking. It's, it's, you know, she's becoming that face. And the districts are starting to rise up. And so in this particular film, you're seeing that, uh, that full-scale war starting to take place. And you're seeing how, um, you know, kind of the final chapter of will the rebellion win or will the capital win again or will we continue to see uh, these war ga- these hunger games continue? And so that's really the, the story uh, in a nutshell. Did I, did I miss anything out as far as what the story's about? I think you're hitting right on it. Yeah, and, and a couple, there is a love triangle. We'll, we'll mention that because that's significant. Um, Katniss Everdeen, played by Jennifer Lawrence, um, has uh, was in both Hunger Game uh, and both of the Hunger Game installments, or the the three. There was a character named uh, Peter Malark, and Peter Malark was a baker's son who really had this uh, compassion and le- this love for others, and really had a love for for Katniss as well. But uh, he was kidnapped by the Capitol and uh, brainwashed and uh, and hijacked in multiple ways, tortured, and uh, he's not quite the same lovable character that. Uh, that she had hoped for that anybody had known. I think uh, Josh Hutcherson played that. And he did, he did a nice job uh, kind of seeing a very, uh, playing different types of, uh, 
of uh, emotions come out through this. Uh, there's also the, the third part of the love triangle is childhood friend um, Gail, uh, played by, uh, by the, the brother of Thor, as I like to call him. Uh, and so you see that kind of love triangle uh, playing out um, throughout uh, this film and throughout the series of books as well. And so that's an interesting dynamic, especially in the books. Um, and, and we see it, see how it uh, unfolds here as well. Um, that's kind of the nutshell of, uh, of the stories and kind of where we are in this particular film. Um, I'll give you a quick take on, on uh, what I thought going into this. Um, as I watched this film, I, I, I thought the thir- first 30, 40 minutes, Adam, were very slow, very sluggish. Um, took way too much time to try to, to tell a story. Um, you know, it's, it's the last chapter. You don't have to spend that much time doing all of this. Uh, the film itself is two hours, 17 minutes long. I, I easily think they could have cut 30 minutes off this and it would have been a better film. That's kind of my first initial take to what people can expect. You don't expect to dive right into action uh, if you're hoping that as a fan. Uh, there's, there's a lot of drama being played out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're very true. Uh, I, I think my take uh, is similar to yours. I think I'm a little bit um, uh, not, not quite as forgiving as you are <laughs> for some of the sluggishness of the film. I think that really just uh, was a sore spot for me after the second installment, which I think you and I can agree that was the best of this series. Wouldn't wouldn't you agree, Catching Fire? Yeah, I I will. I I, I did enjoy Hunger Games, the first one. You did not. I I did not enjoy the the shaky cameras. That was annoying to me, but I enjoyed the story. Um, And, yeah, Catching Fire, I think, was the the better movie of this this four uh, film franchise. I agree. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it, it was exactly what they needed to. It, it was a good template for them to follow for the rest of the series. Right, and I right. thought, oh boy, they finally got gotten themselves where they need to be. It was it was action packed. There were some surprise revelations there. It was compact. It ran just uh, just a shade over two hours. And and uh, even if you hadn't seen that first film, I think you probably could have jumped in at that point, and and you would have been okay. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah, it was it was a good movie. It was it was uh, you know it, it it did what it was supposed to do. Got in, got out. It wasn't bloated. And then we had last year's installment, which I really disliked. Uh, it just felt like it was a, a shameless opportunity to pick the pockets of moviegoers uh, for no other reason than to just you know, to line their coffers with money because they can. Uh, you know, here you have this book, this final installment in the series. And there's no reason why a book that's this thin yep. should be split into a four-and-a-half-hour film. And, and the scenes really were showing with that, that film uh, last year, the first installment uh, of, of this two-part adaptation of the, of the final book. I think it's even more showing in this film. Yeah, it's even worse. Uh, you know, well... I don't know. I, I was just I was just so annoyed last year that maybe my feelings carried. Over. Maybe, maybe I, I will say that I I did a uh, a marathon um, this week and I right. watched uh, I watched all the films just to get you know reacquainted. Even though I knew the right. stories because I read the book. I mean, I, I've got the source material as uh, as an understanding for what this was based on. But I watched all the movies back to back to back again to kind of get ready for uh, for our screening. And, you know, um, I, I kind of felt the same way you did with the, the first time I watched Mockingjay. But watching it, um, watching them all together, it, it actually, um, I didn't feel quite as 
horrible toward it uh, this second go round. But now that I've seen the uh, the fourth one, I'm like, okay, you know what? You you broke this book in half. It's a is a trend that we've seen. We saw it with Harry Potter. To me, it made sense with the last Harry Potter film. I mean, the book's 800, 900 pages long. I, I get that. But, um, you know, we saw it with The Hobbit. They broke that book into three films. Uh, we saw it with Breaking, uh, Breaking Dawn with the, uh, the Twilight films. Broke that, you know, broke that into two installments. It's, you're right. It's just a way for studios to make money. And you know what? They do. As long as the people continue to go see them and do it this way, it's going to happen. Uh, and this weekend it'll happen. This will be the big film this weekend. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And um, that so that was essentially the issue that I had. You could just feel and the, that uh, the other the first part of this two part adaptation, uh, I just was annoyed with such things as as just having the film come to a complete halt while Katniss sings a song. I mean, the film just came to a screeching, you know, just just completely stops it, just long enough for her to sing that song. Uh, the hanging tree, or whatever. Yeah, but you, but you, you know, know and, I, and that just, I, I, I was, my reaction was really. <laughs> well, <laughs> they, but, they've got to stop this film long enough for her to sing a song. Well, you know, but I, that, that didn't bother me because it actually played into the next scene, and that became kind of the uh, the chant um, of uh, of the rebellion, um, and and they it kind did, of used yes, that. So, true. so you know, that that didn't bother me. Um, you know, in this film. In this particular film, there were quite a few things that did bother me. Um, you know, there were, um, like, the sluggishness of it was just really hard for me to get over. Now, once the action started, uh, almost an hour into it, I guess, um, you know, it was, it the, the ending, that, that ending, the last third of the film, I think, um, kept kept me into it and, and, and kept me watching. Yeah. Um, but, but I'll tell you what, when you, when you start off the, the movie that slow and it's the final chapter, literally, uh, that's, that's a hard thing for, uh, for, for fans to swallow and for people that, that just want to go see movies. Um, a movie like this, you don't want to wait that long before things really start kicking in. Yeah. It's hard to take. It really, yeah. really is. Uh, when, when the, when the pacing is, is that deadening and, uh, I I think it's part of a generational thing too. I'm sure this generation that was raised on these books, they're they're just going to eat it up like candy. They love it. Uh, this series can do no wrong. Uh, yada yada yada. But uh, I I just felt much differently. And I, it takes an hour. I, I was looking at my watch. It's an 85 minutes until we got to the first major action sequence of this movie. 85 wow. Wow. minutes. Yeah, I knew it was at least an hour. So yeah, yeah. wow. <clears throat> and and there's no excuse for that. And there's just you know with, with a series that started with such a rousing beginning, <laughs> and then it comes to such a glum and just end with the with with uh, it seemed like all the air had been beaten out of it or something. Yeah. <laughs> it just, well, I was uh, I was a fan of the books. I read the books and. They were very quick reads, and uh, yeah. I, I, as soon as one was finished, I was ready for the next one. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't wa- I didn't read them until they were all out. Yeah. But I kept hearing about it, and then when they were uh, filming the first one here in Shelby, North Carolina, right around uh, the area we we're recording from, I said, "Yeah, I need to read these uh, before this filming starts. I need to need to see what this is all about." And I was really drawn into it. I loved the story, uh, loved the concept. It, it kind of took me back. To uh, to some of the the books I read uh, as a child, when you're looking at this kind of futuristic society and uh, the dystopian society, and you know the youth finding a way to uh, 
to be those leaders. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it really did resonate with, uh, you know, with you've got a very strong female lead, and that's, uh, that's the thing we're seeing uh, happening more and more in young adult fiction, and, uh, and that happens here. But, um, yeah, my, my daughter, a, a big fan of the books as well, you know, she said, yeah, Dad, this was too, was, it was too long. She says it, it did. Uh, I was glad to see uh, it wrap up, the things it wrapped up. And she said it did, um, in, in many ways, it did stay true to the heart of the book. Um, but she said, yeah, it was, it was a bit too long. She, she, she was feeling that same kind of thing with me. Um, but, uh, you know, the ending is, uh, we're not going to give away the ending, but the ending for, for people that, that don't have any background on it might, might be going, what the heck was that about? We'll talk about that later. But that is, uh, is true to the book. And so, uh, so for those who have n- no understanding of the source material, might be going, what the heck were they thinking? Well, you know what? Don't, don't go after the filmmakers for that. You know, if you don't like the way it ends, uh, that's, you go after the source material. And so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, uh, I'll, I will leave it at that. Uh, I'm yeah. giving this, you know, it, to me it was, a, it was an average film. Um, I did, I, I was hoping for a whole lot more. Uh, I thought the costuming, the costumes were great. Set design, well done. Um, the effects, uh, as you would expect in this, um, decent. Um, the casting, of course, worked worked for this as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm giving this a C plus. Uh, that's honestly about the best I could do um, because my daughter was with, with me. I, I will bump it up to a B minus, but yeah. uh, that's the best. That's honestly the best I can do for this last installment, uh, the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part Two. Well, I'm giving it a C minus. That's about where I draw the line there. All right. uh, it was just it was really tough to get through this. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to be honest. All right. Well, that's that's good. I mean, so for for you and I, we average that out to a C, and that that yeah. kind of shows where we uh, where we are with the Hunger Ga- Hunger Games Mockingjay Part Two. Well, let's yeah, talk about uh, another film opening up in uh, in theaters this weekend. Uh, one that might make you laugh a little bit more than uh, than Mockingjay Part Two. Let's uh, let's hear about this new Seth Rogen piece. Uh, the night before, yeah, that's the latest uh, Seth Rogen comedy, which they seem to come along about every six months. It seems exactly. like exactly. But uh, this is the latest one. Uh, I can't say it's the greatest one. Um, it's typical of what you would expect uh, of, a, of a Seth Rogen comedy. Uh, it's uh, this time instead of having James Franco uh, as we usually his partner in crime or has been here of late. This time he's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and the it's it's Christmas Eve, and uh, it, it turns out that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt lost his parents when he was a kid, and his only two friends that helped him uh, get through this tragedy were Seth Rogen and Anthony Mackie's characters in the film. And so now they've all gotten older, it's 15 years later, and they've all moved on, and uh, the Seth Rogen character is now married, and, and he's an expectant father, is uh, his wife's about to give birth any moment. And, uh, and the Anthony Mackie character is now a, a successful football player. And, and so um, they, they've all gone their separate ways, but they decide to have one big last brouhaha. And now is the, before they decide, before they, I guess, merge into adulthood, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, the movie has some real gaps in logic in it, for starters. Uh, Seth Rogen at the beginning of the, the film, his his wife uh, gives him a a box, a Christmas present that has basically every drug you could imagine in it, and uh, tells him that it's okay. He can uh, 
he he can he can have the have a night of fun, and so he does. He gets a pass, and he goes out and you know pretty much ingests mushrooms and coke and and weed and anything else you can think of. And then later on, he starts hallucinating, and he uh, uh, bumps into his wife and her family as they're going into a uh, Catholic mass uh, on Christmas Eve, and she gets angry at him because he's at this point high as a kite and you're wondering well you're the one that gave him the drugs why would you be angry at him <laughs> so right. this is an example of the kind of gaps in logic there's a, another scene where he he mistakenly picks up somebody else's phone a uh, girl he meets played by Mindy Kalin uh, from the Mindy project or whatever and uh, he picks up her phone and he's hallucinating that a statue's talking to him and he leaves the phone with the statue, and then later on, when he needs to give her the phone back, the phone mysteriously uh, appears in his pocket. So there's just some real gaps in credibility and logic that it's hard to hard to take, actually. And as far as the plot goes, it's uh, the, the 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 basic thrust of the plot is that they're trying to get tickets to this party called the Nutcrackers Ball, which is some kind of legendary party that you have to have a special ticket to get and. And the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character, he stumbles across these tickets, and he takes them. They're not really his, but he stumbles across them. And uh, there's a number on there you call. They give you instructions on how to get to it, and they go. And and then that's kind of the goal of the character, so to speak. It's not a very lofty goal, I would say. <laughs> but uh, be warned that this is not a film for uh, your parents, probably. Uh <laughs> Or your anybody young, or, who's at least a little bit squeamish. Or your young uh, kids. There's a lot of adult humor here, and uh, you know the the language and raunch factor is is bad language. Raunch factor is pretty high. So um, you know, I'll say if you've seen Seth Rogen films in the past, you know what to expect. Uh, this is yet another one, but it's not one of the better ones. And I'm going to give it a C plus because the plot just seems to really meander all over the place. They don't the the jokes seem kind of there are a few good jokes here and there, but I counted maybe six or eight good solid laughs, and the rest of it just kind of feels recycled. So, gotcha. like I said, I'm going to give it a C plus. It's it's if you're looking for a raunchy holiday film, this is probably the film to beat. Other than that, eh, you might want to think twice about it. All right, man. Uh, the movie the night before, uh, C yeah. plus from Adam Long, uh, a film I'm, I'm going to talk about quickly. Uh, Spotlight. Uh, is uh, in limited theaters right now. Um, it stars uh, Mark Ruffalo, um, and wow, quite a quite a huge cast as well. Rachel McAdams in this, uh, Stanley Tucci, uh, Liv Schreiber, uh, Michael Keaton uh, also in this film. Uh, based on a true story of back in 2001, um, Boston Globe uh, had a team to investigate allegations uh, that were going on against the Roman Catholic Church, and it's uh, kind of their mission to look for proof if there's a cover-up of sexual abuse happening within the uh, Roman Catholic Church. And that, that's really your, kind of your storyline there. Um, I could get into a lot more detail, but, but I'm not. I mean, I'm going to kind of leave it at that. Um, very well shot, well acted. Uh, this, is, uh, this is one of the films uh, of the year uh, for me. Um, it's, you know, we've, this is the, uh, the second uh, film in the past couple months that really focus on uh, reporters and, and kind of taking me back to that uh, you know, all the president's men kind of concept of re- reporters, uh, a story about reporters and what they report on. 
And, and I love that. I've, I've always been, been a fan of that kind of thing, and it's done very well here as well. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a film that's easy to watch uh, in, in, uh, in many ways. Um, and so I will kind of share that as well. It is uh, rated R. Uh, I'll go ahead and uh, let you guys know that as well. But uh, directed uh, and written by uh, Thomas McCarthy, uh, Josh uh, Singer also uh, co-wrote this piece, and it was released uh, last weekend, but did want to share that. This is one that you will uh, continue to hear about uh, during award season, and so I just wanted to let you guys know that. I'm giving this a, a solid uh, A rating. Uh, that spotlight in theaters now. Uh, let's uh, get your uh, thoughts on, uh, we're not going to have time to get through everything. Man, we've, we've had a lot to cover today, but let's uh, get your thoughts on All Things Must Pass. Uh, yes, it is a terrific film, one of the better films I have seen this calendar year. And it's kind of tough when you see this film first on a double bill before going to see The Hunger Games, and you're riding on the high of such a great film as All Things Must Pass, and then you get dragged down to the slog through uh, The Hunger Games territory. All right. So All Things Must Pass is the rise and fall of Tower Records. That's the uh, the, the total film, the total the complete title of the film, All Things Must Pass, The Rise and Fall of Tower Records. And if you are a big music fan like you and I are, and we grew up uh, music playing a major part in our lives, my dad was a record collector and a musician, and uh, I've been uh, just a a huge pop music fan uh, since the early 1970s myself, and it has uh, formed a a big part of my life. Uh, This is the story of the greatest or the biggest record chain that, probably the United States ever saw. It was the supermarket for records. And in 1999, they were doing a billion dollars worth of annual sales, and five years later, they were bankrupt. And this is the story of how that happened. And Colin Hanks, Tom Hanks' son, uh, directs the film. Uh, He obviously has a uh, real appreciation and affection for Tower Records as well. The film has some terrific appearances by celebrities as well. Bruce Springsteen's in there. Uh, Elton John's in there. He, his his anecdotes are some of the most interesting. As he uh, talks about how he the store would open at eight o'clock in the morning back in the 1970s on Tuesdays, so that he could get in there and get the new releases. And he would buy one of each new release, one copy of each new release for each house that he owned at that point. And there's actually archived footage of Elton John in there uh, in that period, say 19, about circa 1975 or 76, going through the store. Uh, and get picking stuff up. It's really fascinating to watch. Uh, Dave Grohl's in it from the Foo Fighters in Nirvana. He talks about he actually worked there at one in Seattle. And but it's a very uh, sad story. It's it's the the passing of an era, you know. And and it's a really uh, it's it's just endlessly fascinating. The the archive footage and and whatnot. Uh, just a terrifically well made movie. Russ Solomon, the uh, guy who founded the chain, is very much alive in his late 80s, and he's on camera. And a lot of the former employees are there, and, and they tell exactly what happened, how it, how it got started, the, the, and about the heyday of the company and, and how it all finally unwound. So uh, anyway, couldn't recommend it more. One of the best films of this year, All Things Must Pass, The Rise and Fall of Tower Records, A-. minus. All right. Uh, if you're looking for a drama that's uh, kind of a heart-wrenching drama, I will recommend uh, James White. Uh, that is out uh, starring uh, Christopher Abbott and also Cynthia Nixon. It's a, uh, a story really that focuses on the bond of mother and son in the midst of, of chaos, uh, mayhem, pain, and suffering. Um, the mother has been diagnosed with stage four cancer. She's a former school teacher, and she's grappling with that. 
the son was, uh, they were kind of estranged, and the son was uh, involved in a lot of hard partying. He was a screw-up and, and uh, kind of, in, in many ways, uh, went through, down these kind of self-destructive um, path. You, you, could, you could say he, he followed kind of what uh, the night before was about, but he did it all the time. Uh, very hard partying kind of guy. Um, and, and now he's having to kind of grow up and face reality. And it's a, it's a very interesting tale that, that captures that. It captures, uh, it's a wonderful relationship piece as well. It's, uh, it is it's sad, heart-wrenching at many times, but, uh, but well worth checking out. Uh, I will recommend uh, James White. It is rated R for drug use, uh, some sexuality, nudity, and language. It's about an hour and a half long, um, and it's... Uh, it is uh, now in uh, select theaters. Uh, it may be tough to find uh, in wide release, but uh, I would recommend checking that out. It may be one that we'll also be talking about come um, award season. It's quite possible. That's James White. Well, uh, quickly, I will let you guys know a couple of Blu-rays that, uh, that came across my desk uh, this week that you may want to check out uh, for the first time on Blu-ray and digital HD is Disney's Aladdin. Uh, it was great to see this again. Um, also great to, to see it and, and hear and just realize just what a talent Robin Williams was, who uh, was the, the voice um, of the, uh, the genie. Um, really impressed with, uh, with seeing this on, uh, on, uh, on um, the uh, Blu-ray version. There's some great uh, little hidden gems as well um, in, this, uh, in this particular piece, looking at uh, the things relating to the Aladdin Broadway musical, uh, and also uh, kind of Genie's 101, which was a lot of fun to check out. Um, also, Disney released a short films collection that's got uh, 12 celebrated Disney shorts uh, all together for the first time. And this goes uh, back to some old uh, shorts all the way to some uh, recent shorts, as recent as uh, 2014. Uh, well, uh, recommend that as well. And if you just like Tina Fey and you like monkeys, well, uh, Disney's Nature Monkey Kingdom <laughs> is also out on uh, on Blu-ray, uh, and uh, yeah, that's it's fun to watch if you like Tina Fey and monkeys. So uh, give us your uh, quick take on your Blu-rays that you've got out there. Uh, well, the only thing I got a chance to catch up with this week was Jimmy's Hall, which is the latest film from director uh, Ken Loach, who is a British director who makes a lot of films that deal with the struggle of the working class. He's been doing this kind of thing since the 1960s, and... Uh, his latest film, Jimmy's Hall, is uh, fits nicely in his uh, in in on, in his catalog of film, of work, a body of work, I should say. And it's a true story about this guy, Jimmy Gralton. In 1921, he built a dance hall in, at a rural crossroads in Ireland, uh, and uh, when Ireland was on the brink of civil war, and these people would come to the hall and they would they would argue politics and they and they danced and they dreamed and and then the the hall was closed down, and so he went to New York. City and he comes back to his little small town, and he's determined to reinvigorate the town and reopen that hall no matter what. And of course, the religious figures in the town try to try to put a stop to that. It sounds I know it sounds a lot like Footloose, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they uh, they try to uh, to uh, stop him from reopening the hall, and he's met with uh, uh, opposition at every turn. Uh, and uh, but it's a terrific, terrific. Um, movie that fits, like I said, nicely into Ken Loach uh, filmography. Uh, very very well made, and uh, Jimmy's Hall, I'm, I'm going to give it a solid B+. Plus. Um, okay, good deal. You know, not as good as some of Ken Loach's other work, but but definitely worth checking out. So All right, well... Uh, That's available from Sony Pictures. Good deal. Well, been a great, uh, great show. We've covered a lot of material, and uh, we appreciate it as always. Next week, uh, 
Thanksgiving, uh, three uh, films opening and wide release uh, next weekend, including uh, n- a new, uh, new take on the uh, Rocky saga with a uh, new writer, new director. It's uh, Creed. Uh, I'll be checking out a screening of that uh, next week. Um, also, uh, the uh, new Julia Roberts, Nicole Kidman film opens this weekend in wide release. And uh, The Good Dinosaur opens next week. So uh, a lot of things out there for a lot of people uh, to check out, including your, your art pieces and your uh, blockbuster kind of films. So uh, next week, hopefully we'll be able to get a chance to talk with you guys about, uh, about some films. We'll have to wait and see because it is a, a short week with a little vacation time kicked in. So if uh, we don't uh, talk to you guys next week, Uh, Enjoy yourselves at the movies, and until next time, I'm Noel Manning, that's Adam Long, and for this week, that's a wrap.